You are listening to Paranormal Probe with Trip Tanfell. Welcome back once again to the Paranormal Probe Podcast. This is Trip Tanfell in the 10 Step Studios, and you are joining us for episode number eight. And today we're going to once again visit the subject of USOs, that is, unidentified submerged objects. On our last show, I mentioned that I was surprised that out of all of the topics that we've had on this podcast, the most popular for our listening audience has been about USOs and we are going to get to that in just a few minutes. First, I need to talk a little about UFOs. I promised you a while back that I would be keeping an eye on the so-called Big Report from the United States National Intelligence Department, and I want to keep my promise. This report was being touted as a real eye-opener. Several news organizations were reporting that this UFO report would have very significant information that would shock the public. My opinion back then was that the U.S. government has always had a history of total deception. They lie to all of the citizens of this country, and then they cover up all the true facts. And I expected the same would happen on this UFO report. Well, guess what? I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. The bottom line of their report is that they really don't know what the UFOs are or where they come from, and they would not admit knowing if aliens exist. I believe this is a total load of crap. The U.S. government has been investigating UFOs for many decades. They had many top-secret programs that they've lied to us about, and there have been many actual reports from first-hand eyewitnesses, and better yet, there have been reports from high-ranking military personnel that confirm the government's knowledge of UFOs and aliens. There are bona fide reports from retired military officials that even claim our government is secretly working with different alien species, and the intelligence department denies it. There have been many deathbed confessions from eyewitnesses, as well as many others, who have retired from the military and provided sworn testimony under oath in front of the United States Congress to confirm the existence of UFOs and aliens. And doesn't it seem suspicious that there have been many of these ex-military people that have suddenly and mysteriously died shortly after they went public with their stories? I find it to be very sad that what once was the greatest country on earth has become so deeply corrupt to its very core and is so irresponsible to its citizens. So much so that you can't trust anything they say. It's too bad we can't trust our own government. It's really sad to me as well as many other true patriots. Okay, well let's move on to the world of USOs. On our last USO episode, we brought you a lot of great information that explained why it makes perfect sense that UFOs would be seen entering our oceans. 
The planet Earth is made up of over 70% water, and many scientists say that up to 90% of the oceans are still completely unexplored. That means we have no idea what lies in the depths of our oceans. I find this to be remarkable. Okay, so now the theory is out there that the oceans would be a perfect place for USOs to hide. They could have millions of underwater military bases in the oceans, and we wouldn't even know. And when you consider how many sightings there have been of these flying disks diving into the waters or coming out of the ocean and flying away, and you realize that many of these sightings were observed by our own U.S. military, well, it really starts to become believable. All right, well, on our last show about USOs, we reported on a couple out west off of California. So on this episode, we're going to share information about sightings in different areas. To start off with, we're going to the far east side of Canada. There you will find a province in Canada called Nova Scotia, which means New Scotland, and it is surrounded by the Atlantic Ocean. The population is roughly one million people. Back in October of 1967, at approximately 10 o'clock in the evening, in a small fishing village named Shag Harbor, there was a major event that turned out to be one of the most famous USO incidents in history. On that night, many area residents witnessed four bright orange glowing lights flying over the ocean. They assumed these lights were on an aircraft, and they feared the craft was about to crash into the ocean in Shag Harbor. A local constable who saw the lights went to the shoreline to get a better view, and then he saw a yellowish light moving slowly through the water and leaving a yellow-colored foam floating on the water surface. As the light disappeared, the witness believed it was part of a plane that had sunk into the ocean. The officials were contacted and they very quickly organized search teams that included local fishing vessels and the Coast Guard. Since the orange lights were no longer visible, their mission was to rescue survivors of the so-called plane crash. After the search party spent the entire night combing the area, they found nothing. Everybody was puzzled. Numerous people saw the lights over the ocean and they confirmed the search area was correct but there was no evidence found that would indicate a downed aircraft. The officials checked with two local air control towers and they learned that there had been no reports of any missing planes. The following morning, Canadian authorities apparently started to refer to this incident as a UFO incident. And at that point, the Canadian military became involved. They decided to conduct an underwater search, but after a few days of analyzing the area and finding nothing, the search was ended. At that point, since no evidence was found to explain what had occurred, the Canadian military stopped all investigations and closed the case as unexplainable. Now, it seems a little odd to me that this was a major story that baffled everyone involved. And after only three days of searching and investigating, the case was deemed a UFO incident, which I would have thought meant this case was upgraded, but instead, suddenly the case was closed. And it stayed closed for a long time. That is until the case was reopened in 1993, just as mysteriously as its sudden closing back in 1967. 
Here's where it gets real interesting, as signs start to suggest that the government may have been involved in a conspiracy. Thanks to a UFO researcher named Chris Stiles, old records were found and scrutinized. He found a very large paper trail that uncovered evidence of a more sinister story than the Canadian government was admitting to. Some of the information he found confirmed that there was another underwater search that had been orchestrated by the Navy at the same time as the Shag Harbor search, but it was at a different location. The second search party was in the waters of Shelbourne, near a submarine detection base, which is only about 30 miles away from Shag Harbor. During Mr. Stiles' investigation, one of the scuba divers who was part of the team during the initial underwater search was located, and he agreed to give an anonymous interview. During that interview, he admitted that during the search, there was an object that was detected on sonar on the ocean floor near Shelbourne. The diver also admitted that when the searching began in Shag Harbor, the Navy already knew the USO was no longer there. They knew it was in the Shelbourne area. As the investigation was underway in Shelbourne, the Navy surprisingly found a second object that had arrived and was resting on the bottom near the first USO. It appeared to be aiding the first downed craft, and for the next week, the Canadian military hovered above the two USOs and monitored these two objects as they remained on the ocean's floor. The search was suddenly stopped when a Russian submarine was detected entering Canadian waters in that area, and the Navy vessels were reassigned to defend against the threat of a Russian sub. As soon as the Navy left their position, the two USOs moved off of the ocean's bottom and lifted up through the water to the surface and then both flew away at astonishing speeds. Exactly one week later and at the same time of night, eyewitnesses again saw two unidentified lights in the skies above Shag Harbor, but they flew off into the distance. That would be the last sighting on record connected to the Shag Harbor incident. Over the decades, there have been many studies and additional investigations, but this is just one more mysterious story with no explainable conclusion. Our next stories are ones that I'm a little skeptical about, mainly because they involve Russia, and it seems in most cases, Russia is less than honest. But the reason I decided to go with these stories is because of when they were released. Let me explain. Russia, which is formerly the Soviet Union, has mostly been under hardcore communist rule, but there was one time frame where Boris Yeltsin was the president, and he was responsible for bringing some democracy to that country. He earned Russia respect from many other countries. So therefore, I believe he probably had more credibility than any other Russian president. Now, the reason I wanted to explain all of that is because Yeltsin also was responsible for releasing many documents that were held as strictly confidential for many decades. From what I found during my research, the documentation I read was part of several document dumps that Yeltsin was responsible for releasing towards the end of his reign as president. Now, let's continue on with the stories, which, if in fact they're true, they are truly incredible. But I must admit, the information that's available is very limited 
and sometimes a little sketchy. This all happened in Siberia in Lake Baikal, which holds the title for being the deepest lake in the world. Lake Baikal is over 5,300 feet deep, and there are several very creepy stories about USOs and creatures in that lake. Back in 1959, there was a Soviet airliner that had reported it was being chased by a UFO. There were several reports of people on the ground who witnessed the UFO and watched as the plane slowly descended until it crashed into Lake Baikal. Of course, at that time, this story was deemed top secret and was hidden away. Then, decades later, there was an expedition that was organized to descend into Lake Baikal and explore the bottom where the plane crash took place. It was documented that a secret underwater facility was found that was occupied by aliens. It was also reported that this alien base may have been part of the downing of the Russian aircraft back in 1959. Some even claim that there were videos taken of this encampment. The details go cold from there, so it leaves me wondering if this was all made up, or is the rest of the story under lock and key? Now let's move up to 1982. Again, we have a team of Russian divers from their military who were involved in some type of exploration at the bottom of Lake Baikal. During this underwater probe, the divers encountered seven humanoid creatures. They said they were much larger than humans, roughly nine to 10 feet tall, and they wore no scuba gear. Reports indicate that they did have some kind of unusual helmets on their heads, but no visible air tanks of any kind. They were also wearing some kind of skin-tight silver wetsuits. The Russian divers quickly devised a plan to capture one of these unknown creatures and bring it back to their military base. They started to surround one of the creatures, but suddenly the aliens released a burst of energy that literally blew all of the Russian divers up through the water to the surface of Lake Baikal. Well, anyone who's familiar with scuba diving knows that when you are on a deep water dive, your body becomes compressed by the force of the water around you. When you rise to the surface, you must proceed slowly to allow your body to decompress. If you rise too quickly, the rapid changes in pressure can allow gases to form in your bloodstream and cause a number of problems, including weakness, severe dizziness, paralysis, and even death. This is known as the bends. When the Russian divers were forced to the surface at such a high rate of speed, they all suffered from extreme cases of the bends. The story reveals that three of the divers actually died from this condition, and four were severely disabled. It is thought that the Russian government has forbidden any of the surviving divers from speaking publicly about what happened during that dive. So that's where this story concludes. Now, I would like to add that I mentioned the theory that extraterrestrials could be inhabiting our oceans undetected. But an additional thought is that they could be also more specifically in the oceans at the poles. The water is so cold at the North and South Poles that it makes it less likely for humans to spend much time exploring in those areas. But if the aliens are impervious to cold temperatures, it would be the perfect place for them to hide out.
So now let's travel back to the United States to Mississippi. Pascagoula, Mississippi is a small city with a population of about 25,000 people and was once commonly referred to as a fishing village. Today it has become much more industrialized and it is known for shipbuilding with its major customers being the U.S. Navy and the Coast Guard. Unfortunately, it was also an area that was devastated by Hurricane Katrina back in 2005 when over 90% of Pascagoula was flooded by the massive storm surge. But there is a moment in time from the early 1970s that would make Pascagoula somewhat famous for a very different reason. In October of 1973, two men were out on a local pier fishing on the Pascagoula River when an event would take place that would change their lives forever. In fact, this extraordinary event would become worldwide news. These men were friends as well as co-workers at a shipyard in town, and they were enjoying their fishing outing when they noticed something up in the sky that they knew didn't belong there. The men saw two flashing blue lights come out of the clouds and they knew these lights were not from an airplane or a helicopter. They then saw the blue lights were mounted on a flying disc of some sort. They estimated the disc to be about 40 feet in diameter and it made a slight hissing sound. The men couldn't take their eyes off of the unidentified craft. As they watched this UFO hovering over the river, they saw three beings exit the craft through a sliding door and approach both men. The men described the feeling of being conscious but paralyzed as they were levitated by the aliens. They were unable to run as they had no control over their own bodies. They described the beings as creatures with slits for mouths and crab-like claws for hands. The men were taken from the pier against their will and brought to the hovering alien disk. Once they were aboard the spaceship, they were both examined by a device they said resembled a large eyeball. The eyeball scanned their entire bodies and neither of the men felt any pain. The aliens positioned their bodies in midair without any support. There were no chairs, no tables. The next memory they had was waking back up on the pier from where they had been abducted in the first place. At first, the men decided not to report this to anyone for fear of being ridiculed, but later, they decided to tell the local police about what happened. During the police interrogation, there was a tape recorder secretly placed in the room to record the details of this incident. At one point, the investigators left the room and only the two men remained. Later, the men would learn that the police intentionally left the room with the hidden tape recorder inside to see if they would make comments that might expose their story as being some kind of a hoax. But just the opposite happened. The men could be heard on the recording, almost speaking as if in a trance-like state about the horrifying ordeal they had just gone through. It was noted that these men seemed gripped with fear and full of anxiety. It was also reported that both men agreed to take polygraph tests and they were both questioned under hypnosis. It was concluded that they were both telling the truth. 
Now, as I said, this all happened back in October of 1973, and I know you're probably wondering why I just featured a story about an alien abduction when this episode is supposed to be about USOs. Well, the story you just heard is a lead-in to a second part of a very strange event that also happened in Pascagoula. About 30 days later, in November of 1973, there were a group of locals that decided to do some night fishing on the Pascagoula River, which is a typical hobby for many people who live near waterways. But as this group was out enjoying themselves, one of the men noticed something in the water. It was described as being round and about five feet in diameter with a five inch circular amber light shining through the water. They were fishing in shallow water and one of the men decided to try to poke the object with an oar. When he did this, the amber light would go out and the object would move, but then the light would reappear again. He repeatedly tried to make contact with the object, but with the same results. The light on the object would either go out or at least dim, and then the object would move again. The man took a hard swing at the object, and it rapidly moved away from the fisherman and stopped about a half mile away. But a little while later, the object again returned to the same shallow water where it was first spotted. The men were bewildered. They didn't have a clue what was at the bottom of the river, but they continued on with their night of fishing. After their fishing trip ended, the group was still curious and somewhat concerned about the object they witnessed in the Pascagoula River, and a couple of the men decided to report it to the local Coast Guard. The documents with the Coast Guard noted that the men did not appear to be under the influence of any mind-altering substances, and they seemed to have a genuine concern about what they had seen. The Coast Guard decided this report was so unusual, and the demeanor of the men gave this report credibility, so they immediately sent a small team to investigate this sighting. As the men arrived, they quickly saw the amber light under the water, and they confirmed that there was in fact a bright metal disc-shaped object sitting in the shallow water right in the river. They tried to initiate contact with the object, but the light on the object dimmed, and then the disc would just move on, just as the men had reported. This Coast Guard team continued to monitor the object, but eventually it disappeared altogether. The next day, the Coast Guard again sent a few people back to the same area and continued their investigation to find out exactly what this unknown object was, but they would find nothing. As the news spread about this incident, the U.S. Navy took an interest in the sighting. There was a Navy nuclear shipyard nearby, and naturally, the Navy had a responsibility to determine if this unidentified submerged object may be involved in surveillance or even spying. Navy personnel interviewed and documented the stories of both the fishermen and the Coast Guard team that witnessed this activity, and they concluded that nine people had personally seen this underwater craft along with the amber light that was mounted on the disk. Since no additional evidence was uncovered and there were no more sightings, this unusual case is still labeled as unsolved. So this brings us to a conclusion of yet another show on the Paranormal Probe podcast. 
I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, I encourage all of you to look online for these incidents as there is a substantial amount of information out there, including old audio and video recordings provided by some of the actual witnesses. And again, I'd like to thank those of you who sent emails with your comments. And don't forget to send us any stories you might have of personal encounters. We'd love to share them with our listening audience. And as always, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Paranormal Probe podcast. And don't forget, be happy, be healthy, and be back with us for our next featured show. This is Trip Tanfell from the 10-Step Studios, and we'll see you next time. Uh-huh.